The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, we are in Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Uh, and if you're visiting with us, or if it's been a minute, and uh, forgive me, deal family and extended family, I usually recognize people who've come uh, for a baptism. Thank you all for being here today. Glad you're joining us. Thank you for uh, uh, celebrating with Christian today, especially as he comes. We've been in a study of Revelation since around Mother's Day of this year, so we're going on, hard to believe, isn't it? Almost six months of studying Revelation. And as you're turning there, just a, one more housekeeping note. So we're probably, this will probably be the last Revelation sermon of 2023, because you know what happens in the next six to seven weeks? It's holidays, and it's all those things, and that's a good thing. We're just going to take a break, because if you look ahead from Revelation 11 onward, it gets, um, it gets really intense, and uh, I want you to, uh, it's all God's word. We can preach Revelation on New, uh, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, whatever, that's fine, but we're just going to take a break before we get into the tough chapters that are coming with the goal of finishing Revelation before Easter of next year. That really seems like a faraway time, but really, guys, that's like four months away. It's really not that far. So we're getting there. But with that in honor of God's word, would you stand with us this morning as we read together chapter 10? And I pray you're encouraged this morning. This is a chapter that, again, is a pause, an intermission, an interlude between the difficult chapter of chapter 9 and what is coming from Revelation 11 pretty much until the end of the book. And so we're going to end, if you will, 2023's Revelation study on a high note, and we pray we do that to God's glory. But let's read together in uh, chapter 10, starting with verse 1. And John writes, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud and, and with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And verse 3, he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the, what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So verse 5, and the angel who, whom I, John, saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. And then there was no more delay. But verse 7, that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So then, verse 8, the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the angel, uh, open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. We'll talk about that in a minute. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And so, verse 10, I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it in my stomach, it was made bitter. And I was told, verse 11, you must again prophesy about the many peoples and nations 
and languages and kings. You notice that set of fours that you see often in Revelation. A lot to unpack here, but I pray that you're encouraged today, and we'll talk more about that as we do. Will you pray with me? Let's go before the Lord. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to do your word all by your grace. Father, we know that we often have more knowledge than we live obedience to. But yet again, Lord, we pray as Peter prayed to his hearers that we would be reminded of the things that we need to be reminded of, especially today, Lord, that you work through your word in a sovereign way to accomplish your work in this world. And Father, what a great encouragement that should be to us. May you give us wisdom and grace. There's those who know you here, and there are many. May we grow. If there's any without Christ, may they come to know what you have done for them only in your son. We ask this today in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. May be seated. Thank you. Well, this is two weeks in a row, and I'm going to get reamed for it because uh, I love these illustrations. But when uh, this, is, this is what often happens on a Sunday afternoon or morning or whatever time. There are times when players, especially in football, get angry. And these are not just any players. These are big players. This is Tom Brady, not that big, but he's arguing with a ref. And sometimes the rules in football are very strict. They are very strict to say, if you touch a ref, bump a ref, spit on a ref, tap a ref, you're going to get a yellow flag thrown in the process because that guy has legal official rights and he is the gatekeeper. So it doesn't matter if a player gets mad and starts waving his arms, getting upset and all these things. If he touches the ref, out comes the flag and it comes. But how could a man who is half of the weight of these guys, who has merely a t-shirt on, a little dorky hat, and looks like a zebra, how does he have the power, the strength, and the confidence to command grown men who could eat us for breakfast and then some and tell them what to do? Because he has a legal, official right. And it doesn't matter what his strength is. It doesn't matter what equipment he has. He has an official right with the authority to say what can pass and what cannot pass on his field at that time. Makes you want to be a ref, doesn't it? Let me tell you something this morning. Satan is bigger than you. He has more power than you. He's been lifting more weights than you. He has more equipment than you. But Christian, you are like that ref. You have a yellow flag in the back of your pocket, and you can throw that based upon your legal rights given to you on the person and work of Jesus Christ. When Satan comes your way and says that I have all these things to take it out and take you out, because of what Jesus has done for you, you can throw the yellow flag at him and say, no more, Satan, stop it, because of what Jesus has done. And still you may ask, well, if that's true, why is there evil in this world? If that's true, why do economies crash and civil orders fail? And why is there restraint and respect gone in the world today? And even more so, can God keep our little flock safe? As we stand, it seems defenseless in the crossfires like one of those rests is when a big guy comes up to him. And the answer is, he can, because he's God. And he's already won the battle, he's already won the victory, and no matter what Satan may throw at you, you have the legal right, all because of Christ, to throw the flag and say, because in Jesus' name, stop it. And he will stop. The simple truth is, We live in a terrible world, and I don't need to detail that for you. You know how bad it is out there. You know how bad it is even in your own block at times. My aim today is not to detail the bad things, but to remind you that we have one who is in authority. We have one who's greater than a ref. We have one who's over everyone and everything. He's a sovereign God, 
And because he is sovereign, we know who is in charge. Or some kids' curriculums say, and it's probably not the best analogy, he's large and in charge, because that is how God is. He's sovereign. He's over every man, every molecule, and we know it because the Bible affirms it over and over and over. I'm not going to read all the passages, but they are in the bulletin for you, as this little thing will tell you. The Bible verses are listed in your bulletin. Go read them today. Let me just give you a, a reminder from Scripture about how sovereign God is over Satan and authorities. Job 9, 5 and following says, It is God who removes the mountains. They know not how when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth of its place, and its pillars tremble. God commands the sun not to shine and sets a seal upon the stars. He stretches out the heavens and he tramples down the waves of the seas. Or what about God's sovereignty over our daily lives? Proverbs chapter 20. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Or Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Or how about Ephesians 1.11? God works in all things in according to the counsel of his will. Or Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Or Job 42.2. I know, God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You think Satan has any legal rights over you? He does not. God has the authority. And I want to talk to you today about how the word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God on our behalf. Basically the big idea. I want you to see that in the midst of all the crazy seals and trumpets and things, once again, God is going to show you that he is large and he is in charge. But his word is going to go forth because his sovereignty works right there with it. So why do I bring this up? Because that's what Revelation 10 is all about. It's about God's sovereignty over all the events in earth and all the events in heaven and everything and every person therein. So be encouraged today. If God is in authority, we don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. We don't need to sweat it. And just like the silence in heaven of chapter 8 between the 6th and 7th seal, now in between the 6th and 7th trumpet, God calls a time out. And he says, John, I want to remind you, I want to remind your hearers, I want to remind anyone who may read this later on, that before the bottom falls out, and even when it does, I am with you. Lo, even always to the end of the age. So to be encouraged by God's sovereignty, we're going to look at three things today. First, God's word must be recognized. God's word must be recognized. To be encouraged by sovereignty first, God's word must be recognized. Verses 1 through 4. And you see this here in verse 1. You see that phrase where it says, another mighty angel. This is not the first time we've seen a mighty angel. In fact, if you were to go back to Revelation 5.2, you'll know that that terminology is used. And in Revelation 5.2, this angel also came, as in verse uh, chapter 10, with a mighty voice or a voice coming. And so who is this angel? You know, to be honest with you, some people think this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the description we're about to go through, you'd almost say this is Jesus, but this is not Jesus. This is some mighty angel. Perhaps this angel is even Gabriel himself. We really don't know. But what we do know is that this word angelos, angel, is only used in Revelation for good or bad created beings. This is not the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will tell you, if you read about verses 1 and 2 in sermons, you will have pastors saying this, that, or the other. Look, I don't think it's Jesus. I may be wrong, but it's not worth spilling a lot of ink over. The point of the matter is, is that God is in charge, and his word has to be received. And so you, you, you note there that he comes down wrapped in a cloud. 
Oftentimes in the Old Testament, this was the vehicle by which God would come. He was wrapped in a cloud. He would come in the forces of, uh, of, of heavenly garb. You notice also there in verses 1 and 2 that he has a rainbow over his head. This harkens back to Ezekiel 1, where God is described similarly in those terms. And also in Revelation 4.3, where God is shown as having a rainbow. And then you see there in verse 2 that his face shone like the sun. Or verse 1, excuse me. It shone like the sun. Do you remember when Peter, James, and John went up on a mountain and Jesus transfigured himself? His glory went out so much. It was as bright as the sun and his clothes were so white, no, no bleacher could make them as white as they were. So, too, this angel has that appearance. But then you also see at the end of verse 1, his legs have pillars of fire. What a weird picture, isn't it? What is this? This points back to Revelation 1.15. It's a description of the risen Lord Jesus. Also, Exodus 13.21. You remember when the nation of Israel went out? There was a pillar of fire that went with them, right? Remember that? And finally, in verse 3, you see he has a voice roaring like a lion. Revelation 5.5 says that Jesus has a voice roaring like a lion. Well, Darren, if all these comparisons are pointing to Jesus, clearly this angel is Jesus. I don't see it, guys. Sorry. I think the answer or question we haven't done for a while is, I don't know is appropriate here. Is it Jesus? Is it an angel? And the answer might be, yes. Does it matter? Eh, maybe, probably. It's important. But this angel seems to represent Christ because the angel comes with all God's authority. He comes with all the, the, the power to do his will and speak on his behalf. And he comes probably as Gabriel. But what they want you to see is that God's authority is not limited just to Jesus. He authorizes his people to do his work and especially his angels to do his bidding. But do you see what he brought with him? It sounds like a little kid's story, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to uh, uh, de-sanctify um, what we're reading here, but it comes with a little phrase there. You, it sounds like a kid's story. He comes with a what? A little scroll. That's interesting, isn't it? His word is being received, and it's coming. And Amy, if you want to put up that first sub-point, that's fine. I didn't enunciate that well. But it's, it's, he's coming with what God's plan so that they can be shown. And there's a little scroll that's coming. What is this little scroll? Well, that word scroll there is the same word where you get the word Bible that we read here. And this scroll is the same word. And uh, you remember back in chapter 5, there was also another scroll, wasn't there? And, and John cried because no one was able to break the seals of the scroll until Jesus rose up, and he was the only one found worthy to do so. So what is the scroll? Well, the scroll appears to be exactly the same thing as the scroll in chapter 5. That is, that the little scroll here contains everything about God's purposes for the end of the world and all time. His sovereign purposes. But why does he call it little? In fact, you see that again in, in verse 10. You see it again in verse 9. It's a little scroll. Well, is it little because a mighty angel brought it instead of God himself? Maybe. Is it little because John is literally going to eat it in verse 9? Maybe. Is it little because it, it contains smaller portions of what's happening in chapter 5? Maybe. We really don't know. But it's a little scroll. But you note there that the one who brings the scroll, did you see how he brings it? He sets, this angel does, his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. What is that encompassing? Everything. 
There's nothing that's left to chance. And what this says, and you see that up there, is that this is speaking to us that God is ultimately in control over Satan and all his activities. The purpose of bringing the scroll and the way it was brought is to show once again that God is in control. His word must be received. His plans must go forward. And so you go to Revelation 12 and Revelation 13, and you see Satan, quote, coming out of the sand of the sea. You see another beast, the false prophet, rising up from the rising of the sea. And what it means is, is that even though Satan rises here and the false prophet comes out of there, is that God's authority stands towering above them all, and nothing can stop that. Do you, do you see that picture in your mind? It might look something like this, uh, the old Colossae picture, one of the great wonders of the world. And this is not actually how it was, but many of you have seen something like this, one of the great wonders of the world. It was called the, uh, the, the Colossus of Rhodes statue. And it was said that ships used to sail underneath it to show that that city and those gods were above all the other gods. It's possible that John, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is hearing God poke at these false ideas that other gods are in control. And they are not. Praise the Lord. Amen. So God's word must be received. It shows his plan. But secondly here, God's plan may be hidden even when it is received. God's plan may be hidden. God's plan may be hidden. You see that in verse 4. God's plan may be hidden. And so in verse 3 into verse 4, it says, And they called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. What are these seven thunders? Well, you know that word seven means completion. We really don't know, but it's, it's interesting. You remember the book of Revelation means an unveiling. It's a showing forth. You're revealing something. Well, why would the book of Revelation that's trying to show forth what God's doing now tell you something they can't tell you? It's kind of like when someone comes up to you and says, I have a secret, but I'm not going to tell you. You ever had someone like that before? I know if you have little kids, there's no secrets in any part of the house. And if your Sunday, uh, brother and I were talking about that, there's no secrets in Sunday school anymore because you can go and kids tell you everything that happens at home, good or bad. But you notice it, it, these seven thunders, what are they? Well, we really don't know, but he's commanded not to write it down. Some think perhaps this is something that John's original audience knew that's not tell, told to us. But why not write it down? Several possibilities. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians 12 where we get those great verses that Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he prayed three times for God to take away, and he saw heavenly things so good and so great, but God told him, quote, you cannot tell anyone about these. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's also that God is telling John that there are some things that are in the future not for us to know. But one commentator put it well, and I think I tend to agree. John being told not to write them down is in some way God canceling out a judgment perhaps he had planned to do. It's his mercy in these thunders that they're not going forth. It's a judgment that we deserve that he's not bringing out. The point of it is, is be prepared that your plans may not be God's plans. John had every intention to write down this recognized word of God. But his plans were hidden. I think there's a point of application there for you and for me and for our church. Things you pray for, things you ask God for, things you say, God, I need wisdom for, God may not tell you the reason he doesn't answer it or tell you the reason he, he, he seems to change it or, or modify that prayer request to fit his will. Our response is simply to say, thank you, Lord. 
there may be a time to question, and, and, and we always get asked that question, is it okay to question God to a degree? But to the degree you question God so much that you deny what he's told you he is and what your response should be, that's when sin creeps in. Questioning can be an okay thing. Job questioned God to a degree, but he always went back to what he did. He fell down on his knees, and he says, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, friends, when this comes to be, uh, first, God's word is recognized. I said received a lot. I'm sorry. A lot of R's here. We're getting back to alliteration, but God's word is recognized. What are you praying for? Are you trusting that God has given you what you need? And he does. Trust him. His word will get you through. You can be encouraged in God's sovereignty because God's word is recognized. Second thing you need to be encouraged with is that God's word will be realized. Verses 5 to 7. God's word will be realized. And we believe that God will prove his words. We believe that God will prove his words there in verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 5. It says, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. This is a very curious episode here. And he swore by him who lives forever, swore by God, who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that was in it, that there would be no more delay. This is a a very interesting passage, isn't it? Well, this is the same thing that happened in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel encountered a man, probably an angel, clothed in linen, and it says he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him that lives forever. What's going on here? Well, we believe that God's going to prove his words true. If you're going to be encouraged with God's authority and sovereignty, you need to remember that he is the one that we are under. And he's the one that holds all authority. And so this gesture is probably symbolic. And it's a a calling out to God to witness the oath that's about to happen with everything that's coming in the chapters ahead. But you note there are the three spheres that he's, he's, he's calling God out for. There's the heaven, there's the earth, and there's the sea. Verse 5, God created the heaven and what is in it. God's created quadrillions of galaxies, so many galaxies. God's created the stars. God's created billions and trillions of stars, many that we will never see. Or Hubble, I'm sorry, I'm entering into space territory. I need to be careful here because Pastor Nelson is going to grill me after service. So be very careful with my words of space. But somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, we have not been to that galaxy far, far away. And everything on earth, he's created the grass and the grasshoppers. He's created the mountains and the flowers. He created a country called Finland and U.S. He has rocks and human rulers. He holds it all in tension. And he does this because he's showing us that he will prove his words true. Just as he created these things, whatever's about to be sworn in an oath is going to come true because God is faithful. And he's also created everything in the sea. Sharks, dolphins, swordfish, seals, eels, snakes. You can tell what kind of animals we're into at our house, Right? But every species we've never seen, what is the point of all this? The point is, is that God has decided to complete his purposes. And he is going to terminate history, and there will be no delay. Did you see that word there? At the end of verse 6, it says, there will be no more delay. This angel is swearing an oath to God that he's going to carry out everything God says. It's a reminder to you there is no place where God isn't sovereign and his word doesn't apply. Whether you're in space on, looking at Nelson, the International Space Station, am I safe? He's nodding, good. We got some space terminology agreed upon. Whether you're on earth, in a jungle somewhere, in a business meeting somewhere, in a car, 
or whether you're in the sea like a scuba man or woman, God is sovereign. And you need to know that his words will be applied. This doesn't mean that Christ returns at the time and time will be abolished and clocks will be obsolete. The idea here is, is that he will bring his plans to purpose. And this angel swears an oath that he who created it will bring it about with no more delay. God's timetable moves forward even when ours does not. And that's good news for us, guys. Because our times, the psalmist says, are in his hands. Not only as we receive God's word is it realized, and we, he will prove his words, but he will perfect his words. Look at verse 7. Be very encouraged by this word. And your Bible may have a different word here in verse 7, but I want to focus in on what the ESV calls, at the middle of verse 7, that the mystery of God will be fulfilled. I believe the King James says announced or something to it. But that word there in the middle of verse 7, fulfilled in the ESV, speaks of a time that God will do it. The angel swears that what God reveals is true and will come to pass. So we believe that God will, in verse 7, perfect his words. He will perfect his words. In other words, don't despair. Don't fret. Don't worry. He's got this. He's got you. Whatever it is you have, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you even when all the world is in turmoil. Don't fear about who wins because our study, church members especially, who wins? God wins, right? And this is our hope. This is our joy in knowing that God has sworn that he will judge the wicked and we will be saved. This is our hope, that he will judge the wicked and we know that we will be saved. He will fulfill his purpose. And the purpose of the book of Revelation has been to bring comfort to God's people. They will be safe, they will be saved, but he will judge the wicked just as he said. And that is a great comfort to you. No terrorist attack, no nuclear assault, no corruption or government scandal, no sexual scandal, no military thing. And I put this in as a little side joke, but also reality, you know, I've, I've joked before, I'm going to invest in cucumbers because for the last four years in the pandemic, they have held steady at 69 cents a piece at Walmart. They have gone up to 75 cents. I hear the trumpet sounding right now. Everything is coming back. No matter what it is, silly or serious, economic collapse, God will judge the wicked and save the saved. Christian, that ought to thrill your soul. Because you are held secure in a sovereign God's hands. And when you realize that, that he's going to perfect his word, he's going to fulfill his purpose for you. Do you remember what he said about you? That he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of redemption. Some of us know that as we grow in Christ, we often look at our lives the last several years and we say, I'm not as close to Christ as I'd like to be. But God promises us that he will draw us closer to him and grow us closer to him. He's not just going to leave you as you were. Baptism is a starting line, not a finish line. And that is great hope that we have. So to be encouraged under God's sovereignty, you need to recognize God's word. You need to realize God's word. But finally, you need to receive God's word. And I'm going to say a statement. It's probably unqualified, and it's my two cents on this. But I'm going to say that these next three verses are probably the most, if not the most, encouraging verses in the book of Revelation. You see why I want to end on a high note before we get into the holiday season. You need to also finally, number three, you need to receive God's word. And John here in verses 8 through 11 is going to be encouraged in God's sovereignty because he's going to get a recommissioning of sorts. 
you know, there are a lot of couples these days, and I suppose there's nothing wrong about it. It's a good thing where they will renew their wedding vows. In a lot of ways, so too we as Christians need to renew our commitment and be refocused on the vision of what we are called to do. And these verses have a clear relevance for everybody here. That little scroll in verse 2 that we looked at is going to appear three more times in verses 8 through 10. And it's going to be a sweet thing and a bittersweet thing at the same time. But the question is, how do we respond to these words? Verse 8 will start us off. Notice what he says here. He says that they seize God's word. They seize God's word. It says, then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, verse 8, saying, go, take the scroll, seize it, grab it, that is open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. Look, this voice is certainly the voice of God now speaking. The voice here tells him to go. It's an imperative, and you're going to take the scroll. There's two dual commands here, take and go or, or grab and go. That's, not, that's actually a good thing, not a break and go like some of the things happening around the nation. But no doubt, John needed this encouragement. He needed to go forward in the mission of what verse 11 told him to do and to tell everything that's being told to him to the kings and peoples, nations, and languages. It's a kind of a mini great commission in some sense. But as John is commanded to go, God commands us to go and take his big book and explore its truths. You know, there is an open book ready for the taking. Lifeway did a study back in 2018, from 2008 to 2018, cost a lot of money, and it was a good study because you know what they found? Reading the Bible in a disciplined way is the greatest impact of your life, spiritually speaking. When the Bible gets in you, God sure works in you in ways that you cannot expect. The more you read the Bible, the more you study the Bible, the more you seize the Bible, if you will, the more God is going to grow you closer to him and remind you about what you're called to do and, more importantly, who he is in all that process. But do you know what? Most Christians, if we're honest, don't read the Bible. We read a little verse from our Daily Bread or Charles Spurgeon or, or um, uh, uh, Oswald Chambers, and those are great devotions. I wrote devotions for years. They're great. But it's like... When I'm running a race sometimes, and I get a little gel out, and I take a, a gel, which is just sugar-fied gobbledygook to get you to the next mile. It's great. It feels good. But about a mile later, you're like, where's the, where's the steak burger, you know? Where's, where's all those great foods that I need? And so, too, can I just ask you, have you given up on the Bible? Some of you started a Bible reading program back in January, and you got to about March, and you got to Leviticus, and you said, eh, 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 I'm done. We're going to be introducing to you in the coming weeks called the FR260 Bible Reading Program. It's not a year Bible reading in a year, but it's going to encourage you to read at least five days a week and give you two cheat days, if that's the way you want to say it. Because sometimes life happens and you don't read your Bible as you should. We want you in the Bible. Because as God gets you in the Bible, you will grow. You know, people who are in the Bible give more generously, evangelize more freely, disciple more willingly, serve more frequently, and are more unified. It's when we get out of this book that churches start going the wrong way because we get focused on us and less about him. John was told to seize the book. He was told to grab it and take hold of it. Go and take the scroll. How intimidating would that be out of this angel's hand? And so he's told to seize the book. He received it. That's number Subpoint A there. Second thing he did was not only seize the book, but secondly, he was told to savor the word. Seize the word and savor the word. Look at verses 9 and 10. 
he says here, so I went to the angel and told him. He, notice, notice this little comical thing here. He told the angel to give it to me. Again, I'd be shaking in my boots, but with God's command, the angel, of course, obliges. And he, he said to me, take and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it'll be as sweet as honey. This is the same uh, command that was given to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 2 and 3. If you want to study that later on, that he was told to eat it. And it's not just—it's not just a symbol, but literally, this is probably eaten literally. You say, how does that work? I don't know, but I trust what it says. Jeremiah fifteen also says, God, Jeremiah speaking, your words were found, and I ate them, God, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. But you know what he tells him to do? Two more commands: take it and eat it. So was this like one of those candies that taste really good? Well, it's, it's got a double meaning here. It, it's like honey, but there's a twofold reaction. Did you notice this? It goes in sweet. He, he takes in the word of God, and it, it reminds him of God's goodness and love and mercy and all these great things that who God is. But then the bitterness comes because with the word of God comes the realization that it's not just all flowers and petals and, and Mr. Rogers and Hallmark card movies and all those types of things that happen around Christmas time. There is great relief that God is in plans and his purposes and his wills and his ways are coming, but there's also great bitterness that comes because God's judgment is coming upon the earth. And I want to submit to you that living the Christian life is sometimes a bitter, sweet experience. You love God. You know he's good, but if you're truly a Christian, it breaks your heart, doesn't it, when people don't believe that same message. It breaks your heart that they don't experience the same love and peace and joy and, and growth in Christ. Because when you live for Jesus, there is joy and life, but Jesus also said he came to bring a sword. He came to bring division. And when you live for Christ, there is going to be a real dividing in your soul and your life and your relationships, the things that really matter in this world. But if you're a Christian, you, you accept that with grace and you praise God that his grace has found you. Amen? And finally, so he's savoring the word, he's seizing the word, but finally, notice verse 11. He is spreading the word. He's spreading the word. Verse 11. Verse 10 says, And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, but when I eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And verse 11, And I was told, You must again prophesy about, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is a very interesting thing. The best translation, and if you have your Bible here, you probably have where it says, And I was told. There's probably a better, it depends on some manuscripts here. It's possible that that could be translated, and they told me, or, 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 or many voices told me. We don't know for sure, but the point of it is, is that all of heaven seems to be testifying to the fact that John has one mission in this world. And his mission is to go not only share the gospel, but to make disciples around the world. This is another reminder of God's sovereignty over this whole entire world. John is to take what he has and tell everybody about it. And church, I confess to you that as a church, my leanings tend to be more evangelism. Share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. And amen, we should. But often, we forget that there is a discipleship side. 
Many of you have not heard that word before. We, we say it a lot. If you're, if you're an old church member or old church person, they used to have on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, discipleship training hour. That's great. I wish discipleship could happen in an hour. But oftentimes, discipleship happens in small groups of gender-specific people memorizing Scripture, studying the Bible, being accountable to one another. Because I'll be honest with you, if you leave me, even as a pastor, to go and do things spiritually, if I don't have accountability, do you know what's going to happen to me? I'm just not going to do it. If you leave someone, if you left a kid in a room with Halloween candy, and we have a lot of it, this, well, I'll use my own self here to get in trouble. Every time I go downstairs to warm up my lunch in the kitchen in the last week, it has taken everything within me not to grab a handful of candy that is left over from the Halloween candy that we did not hand out on 1031. And there have been more wrappers in there than I care to admit. I will say that to you. But if left to my own devices, I'd probably eat the whole bag. And you would too, so just stop it. But the reality is, unless we have accountable relationships, discipling relationships, we often fail at the very things God tells us to do. In the coming weeks, as we present some new goals for next year and tell you where we are with the goals we set last year, I want to talk more about that. But can I just ask you a simple question? Who are you discipling? Who is it in your life that you are telling about Christ, not only to share the gospel, but are teaching about the things of God, memorizing the scripture, studying it together. And who's discipling you? Sometimes it takes you to be willing to be discipled. Well, I'm old and, or I'm young and I know all this stuff. Who are you willing to be discipled by? And for John, he knew he had to go to every nook and cranny of this world to do those two things. We need to evangelize. Row over here. But if you row this way, you're just going to go in circles. You need evangelism, and you need discipleship. And I will tell you that most churches, ours included in this, if you ask them, what is your plan? If you had 30 people come to know Jesus Christ, what is your plan to disciple them and grow them up? Most of us would have no idea what we would do with those people. Praise God, they're saved. Church, we need a discipleship plan. We're, I want to encourage you. You are growing. This church is growing spiritually. It's growing numerically. It's growing in a lot of ways. But we don't have a formal plan. I want to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But John had one mission, and we do too. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John was encouraged because God's sovereignty was all over it. Guys, I pray we are going to close Revelation out for 2023 right there. The first Sunday of 2024, the fireworks are going to go off. <laughs> You've got your time out. You ended on a high note. The holidays are coming, and we're not, not going to preach God's word. We will. It'll be different. But I want you to know, this is where we're going to end it right here. We got halfway-ish through the book in six months. Praise the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? And we're, I'm going to invite Andy and Richard, our two deacons, soon-to-be commissioned deacons, uh, to come up as we pray. We're going to serve the Lord's Supper. After the supper, we'll do our last song. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you. We thank you so much for the grace that is ours in Christ. Father, we pray that, and we thank you that you are a sovereign God who uses your word to work sovereignly all over this world. It needs to be recognized, received. It needs to be all those things. But, Father, we are grateful that we can seize, we can savor, and we can spread your word. And I pray we're doing that as a church. I pray we're doing that as an individuals. And many are in this church. And may you continue to flame, fan that flame. 
But Father, so easy it is to get off that track in the busyness of our lives to forget the primary purpose you put us here. Yes, is to glorify you and enjoy you forever, but with that comes the sharing of our faith and the discipling of people and even receiving that growth in discipleship. Father, help us here. We don't want to be a holy huddle at Tower View Baptist Church. We want to be holy people, for sure, set apart for your glory. But may we break that huddle, as it were, and go out to wherever people are in our lives, our influence, our contacts, to share there is a great God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son. Thank you for Kayla's testimony in that in recent days, for Christians today, and many others here who profess that. So as we come to partake of the supper, Lord, we ask that you are glorified. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.